Welcome to the Ninth Arch, a Masonic podcast that takes a further look at the three Yorkite degrees called the Council of Cryptic Masons. Here you will find interviews and discussions on topics and research papers related to the Cryptic Council. The views and opinions of the speakers are that of their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of the Grand Council. Follow us on our Facebook page for further discussions after the show. Welcome back to the Ninth Arch Podcast, everyone. This is your host, Derek Helfer, and accompanied again by illustrious companion, Gary Jasker. Uh, picking up on our where we left off on our most recent podcast, dealing with the captivity and destruction of the first temple and leading our way into the construction of the second temple. So I'll again turn it over to companion Jasker, and we'll continue with the story. Thank you, Derek. Zerubbabel was of the royal race of David and called... Shazabazar, the prince of Judah, the grandson of the king of Jehochen, who had been deposed by Nebuchadnezzar and carried captive to Babylon. He was born in Babylon, as his name imparted, nothing more than known of this history, except from him, both Mary and Joseph were descendants. The Jews continued to practice the rites of masonry and established the various places regular lodges in Chaldea, according to rabbinical traditions. They instituted their mystic fraternity at Naharda and Ephrates. Zerubbabel carried with him to Jerusalem all the secret knowledge of that institution and established a similar fraternity in Judea. Cyrus also returned all the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had pillaged and the rival of the ancient practices related to their worship. So he committed these things to Mithraitis, the treasurer, to be sent away with the order to give them to Sanabasar, that he might keep them till the temple was completed. Cyrus also sent out epistle to the governors that were in Syria. The contents were as follows. I have given leave to as many Jews that dwell in the country as pleased to return to their own country and rebuild their city and the temple of God in Jerusalem. I have also sent my treasurer, Mithraitis, and Zerubbabel, the governor of the Jews, that they may lay foundations of the temple and may build it six cubits high in the same in latitude making three edifices of polished stones and one of the woods of that country. I require also that the expenses for these be taken out of my revenue. I have also sent the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar pillaged out of the temple and have given them to Mithraitis, the treasurer, and Zerubbabel, the governor of the Jews, that they may have them carried to Jerusalem and restore them in the temple of God. Now their numbers were as follows. 50 chargers of gold, 500 of silver, 40 
theraclean cups of gold and 500 of silver, 30 vessels of pouring and drinking offerings and 300 of silver, as also for their small cattle and for wine and oil, 205,000 and 500 demaras, and for the wheat flour, 20,500, and ordered that these expenses shall be given them out of the tributes due to the Samaria. When the priest offers them, they shall pray to God for the preservation of the king and his family, that the king of Persia may continue. But my will is that those who disobey these injunctions and make them void shall be hung upon the cross and their substances brought into the king's treasury. In the seventh year of the Jewish liberation, Cyrus died in 530 BC, succeeded by his son, Cambyses, who after eight years dies in Syria. Then Smyrdas took the throne of Persia and forbid the Jews to proceed in the building until his death in 521 BC, at which time Darius became king. Now in the first year of king's reign, Zerubbabel, who had been made governor of the Jews, came to Darius from Jerusalem. For there was, for there had been an old friendship between him and the king. Darius, his family and acquaintances had a feast along with the rulers of Media and princes of Persia and tropicas of India and Ethiopia and the generals of his army and his 127 provinces. After which drinking and eating, everyone went home. Darius went to bed, but after he had rested only a little of the night, he awakened and not being able to sleep, he fell into conversation with his three bodyguards and promised that to whom should make an oration about points that he should inquire of, such was be agreeable to truth and to the dictates of wisdom, he would grant it as a reward to his victory, to put on a purple garment and to drink in cups of gold and to sleep upon gold and to have a chariot with bridles of gold and a head tire of fine linen, chain of gold about his neck and to sit next to him and account of his wisdom. And says he, he shall be called my cousin. Now, when he had promised these gifts, he asked the first of them whether wine was not the strongest, the second, whether king were not such, and the third, whether women were not such, or whether truth was not the strongest of all. When he had promised that they should make their inquiries about these problems, he went to bed. But in the morning, he sent for his great men, his princesses, his toparchs, the Persians of Media, set himself down in a place where he used to give audience and bid each of the bodyguards to declare what they thought proper concerning the proposed questions in the hearing of them all. The first of them began to speak of the strength of wine and the demonstration is this, when he says, 
I am to give my opinion of wine, O you men. I find that it exceeds everything. By the following indications, I deceive the minds of those that drink it and reduces that of a king to the same state of that as Monarphan. He that stands for the need of a tutor and erects that of a slave to the boldness of one who is free and that the needy become like that of the rich man for it changes the renewal of the souls of men when it gets into them. The second one begins to speak about the strength of king and demonstrates that it was the strongest of all and more powerful than anything else that appears to have any forces or wisdom. They are men that govern all things. They force the earth and the sea to become profitable to them in what they desire. And over those men do kings rule, and over them do they have authority. And the third man, who was rubble, began to instruct them on the women and about truth, who said thus, wine is strong as is the king, also whom all men obey, but women are superior to them in power. For it was a woman that brought the king into the world, and that for those that plant the vines and make the wine, they are the women who bathe them and bring them up, nor indeed is there nothing such we do not receive from them. They sow, cook, clean, etc. When we have gotten a great deal of gold and silver and other things of great value and see a beautiful woman, we leave all these things and with open mouth fix our eyes upon her countenance and are willing to forsake what all we have that we may enjoy her beauty and procure it for ourselves. And when she smiles, he smiles. And when she is angry, he is sad. And according to her passions, flattering his wife and drew her to reconciliation by great humility to himself and her, if at any time he saw that she was displeased with him. Then the princes and rulers looked one upon each other and began to speak about truth. I have already demonstrated how powerful women are, but both these women themselves and the king are weaker than truth. For although the earth is large and the heaven high and the course of the sun swift, yet all of these more according to the will of God. Moreover, all things else that have any strength are moral and short-lived, but truth is the thing that's immortal and eternal. It affords us not indeed such a beauty as will wither away by time, nor as such riches as may be taken away by fortune, but righteous rules and laws. It distinguishes them from justice and puts what is unrighteous to rebuke. When Zerubbabel had finished, the multitude cried out aloud that he had spoken the most wisely and that it was truth that alone that had immutable strength and such would never wax old. The king commanded that he could ask for anything above what he had promised and that he should sit with him and be called his cousin. Zerubbabel reminded him that the vow he had made, that if he ever had become king, 
now his vow was to be rebuild Jerusalem and the temple of God and return the vessels which Nebuchadnezzar had pillaged. So the king was pleased with what he had said, arose and kissed him and wrote to the tomarchs and the governors to assist Zerubbabel and those with him in the rebuilding of the temple. He also sent letters to Syria and Phoenicia to cut down cedar trees in Lebanon and deliver them to Jerusalem. Well, that's good. That's a great segue into the rebuilding of the temple, which, as you indicated earlier, we'll cover in a, in a future podcast. But this entire storyline covers a huge amount of Freemasonry from the uh, Grand Chapter through the Grand Commandery through the uh, Knight Masons. Uh, there's and even in the Scottish Rite. So there's this storyline alone covers a multitude of degrees and things that we have in Freemasonry. So you can definitely see how uh, all these individual bodies and things in Freemasonry are all intertwined to some degree and all take off from the same storyline that all started way back as we started here from Moses's tabernacle. So uh, right. very interesting stuff. Very, uh, very interesting to see how it all kind of comes together. We hope you have enjoyed listening to the Ninth Arch, a Masonic podcast where we take a deeper look at the Council of Cryptic Masons. Join us next time for another in-depth discussion, and don't forget to check out our Facebook group, The Ninth Arch. Thank you for joining us today, and may peace be with you on your travels.